just heard them and they and they use them. And if you have or if you have kids that are on Twitter, I mean, this, you know, these words have come up a lot. But the older we get, and some of us in here are th- looking at that those the terminology, and you're going, uh, this is a this is a foreign language. You know, anytime you learn a new um, whether it's a religion or or a worldview or some philosophy of life, same as if you learn a new trade. Uh, you have to learn the words. Everything has its language, you know, its jargon, its trade language, its talk. You know, you, you go to work at a brand new place in a new field, and they all talk shop. And you don't follow until you get acquainted with what, what they're talking about. So it's the same with any movement. And this is a this is a way of thinking, and that's that's the next section there. When you look at all those words, give yourself a sense of how much do I know something about this? Well, just judge by how familiar or not familiar you were with those words. And let that be the gauge as to how well you understand what this is. But what is this? We're, what we're studying here, as it says, a popular social perception and a cultural movement based on a kind of worldview. The main ideas of it go back to some very influential thinkers, we'll get to them, who influenced um, certain areas of scholarship, such as like sociology, to, you know, and a couple of others. And a long time ago, the scholars, the people that laid the groundwork for this, they go back. I studied them in school. That's a long time ago. But I didn't take them that seriously. I mean, it was interesting, and then you know, oh, isn't that wild? And sometimes some of it was a little bit out there, and maybe there's a few jokes about it. You try to understand it, but you move on with life because you figure um, these guys are odd and no one really thinks like this. Well, that was then. Uh, now this has moved into the popular culture, and it's taken the form of, a, of an active movement with a kind of religious feeling, definitely a moral cause. I mean, this is a moral crusade. And as it says, an energetic kind of activism. So it's like, you know, Abraham Lincoln said once, the, the philosophy of the schoolroom will become the philosophy of the everyday person on the street. Just give it time. So a lot of this stuff that was in academic departments, and then it filters into the high schools and the people who write all those textbooks the kids read in high school, and it just filters and filters until it's down at the street level. And now that's what you see. The emphasis of it, uh, is on ideas of power, who has power, who doesn't, oppression, identity groups, the idea of equality, and of course, justice, a big theme. So that's what it's about. That's the main thing that we're going to spend a little time, uh, a few weeks, trying to understand it. There are some other names for it. Now, why did I say critical theory? Why is that at the, in the title? There's a lot of things we could say. Critical theory is a term that goes back, you know, to some of these guys, some of these sociologists who um, who use that name. What do I mean by critical, by the way? Critical like a critique you make of something. You know, you look at a, you look at a, um, you could look at a business, a corporation, an entire industry. You could look at an entire nation. You could look at a whole system of thought, any system, and critique it. Find the things that you think are wrong with it, things that need to change. Um, this is this is the use of this is where critical comes from. You're critiquing. This is a Marxist idea in some ways, a Marxist critique. 
We'll get to him too. He's influential, some of his ideas. But it, it, becomes, it becomes the tool or the way of approaching all kinds of subjects. And there are subcategories of this critical theory, such as critical race theory. Now that one's big right about now because of all the stuff in the news. That's, it's important now. But it gets applied to literature. It's like a lot of literary theory applies to these ideas. Lots of social and sociological stuff. You've got these areas of study now that don't have the word critical in them, but they use this, like what they call queer theory and what they say here, whiteness studies. Incidentally, both of those are, are courses offered in lots of universities today. You can roll in and you can take a course called queer theory. I'm pretty sure OU offers it. You know. And what they will do is they will take the, the basic ideas of critical theory that we're talking about here, and they'll just apply it to that realm. Because you can apply it to lots of realms. It goes by those kind of names. Another name some people will call it, if you ever hear this term, that's what they're talking about, is cultural Marxism. So there's his name again. We'll probably talk about him next week. We talk about some of the influential people, but they'll call it cultural. They get cultural because it's not just, it's not Marxism so much um, economically speaking, you know, which if you went, if, from your school days, if you ever studied that, if you ever talked about Marx, you talked about chances are it was economically related. And today people debate, they're often talking about economics, but this is not so much economics. I mean, it touches on it, but it's about a, it's applying some, some very general ideas that Marx is kind of known for way outside of economics, you know. I mean, if you're going all the way to apply it to transgender studies, I'm pretty sure Marx didn't have that in mind in his time, that someday some of his ideas would be applied to that, you know? One of the things you have to remember, just like Darwin's theory, all of these, quote, theories are not something that's like God's law. It's, oh, this is a possibility of things, and let's go down this line of thinking, and, oh, well, this is, this is how it is. This looks like the real thing. But they still start with that critical theory, and it's critical because if you don't take that first premise, you can't get there. This is a, this is a, uh, an identifier of something that's become bigger than its original area of study. And Dar the Darwinist idea, um, Darwinism is a good analogy here, as you say, because as somebody once said, <clears throat> some famous guy said one years ago, that um, that Darwinism became what he called a universal acid. It'll it'll eat through everything, so that so that in time everything you ever analyze in the world, we will just fall back to something Darwinistic. Watch nature programs, you know, anything and everything you can. If you ever ask why is anything the way it is, Darwinism, it's it's the it becomes the universal in you know application to everything. Why did that girl break up with you? Well, somehow it's got to be evolutionary, somehow, you know. Or this one here. Uh, everything, and this is similar in that it it breaks out of specific domains. It just before you know it, it's just this all-encompassing thing, which makes it like a big, big worldview, a big kind of religious ideology. And as we will see, some people consider it very much like a religion, a cultish in some ways. And some people say that it's a substitute, because a lot of people in our culture have 
do not have what many of you and I benefited from. They don't have any of that grounding. They, they, don't, they, don't ha- they don't have the answers to the questions. What's my life's purpose? What can I give myself to? What's a cause bigger than me? How can I be some kind of righteous person on the cause, on the side of righteousness? How can I do that? They have no Christian category. They, got, they, they find a substitute. And instead of taking up the cross, they take up this. You know? So, um, some of the common names you hear, and you might have heard this too, is sometimes they will call people that are very active in this realm social justice warriors. Anybody ever heard that? SJWs, they're called. Not to be confused with just the JWs. We've studied them separately. Jehovah's Witness. Or they'll say they're just woke. Sometimes they use it as a noun. The wokes. I've seen that used that way. Yeah, they're, they're the wokes. Being woke, incidentally, doesn't just mean that your alarm went off and you're not asleep anymore. Obviously, it means something almost... It almost sounds religious, really. Be, you get woke when you finally see it. You finally get it. You finally understand. You've, you, you're no longer in the dark blind to these the way the world really is now you see it um, you know it sounds kind of gnostic you know like I I got I got the knowledge did you get the knowledge yet has it happened to you you know so those are terms why is this important okay so the next question here why um, why is it that we would uh, take any time to do this and maybe for some of you you kind of figure it's obvious. Um, it's obvious right now why we might want to know this, why churches should know this, why people ought to get acquainted. And I'll just give you three things I've put here that I think make this worth the time and important for us to know. The first one is that this has a strong hold on major areas of culture. Major areas. Like what areas? Well, I put a few here, such as education. Entertainment, media, and the corporate world. Anybody need examples of some of these? If, I bet you can think of some. Education may sound like a no-brainer. I just told you, um, and then you, as if I needed to, really, that a lot of the ideas of this way of thinking go back a long way. And people were people in the 60s were going to universities and learning this. You know, it's just that the rest of the society didn't think much of it. Yet, I mean, you know, outside of pockets, the mainstream, it this had not gone mainstream back then. But did anyone? Some of you went to school a long time ago, maybe, and uh, you know, (laughs) Berkeley. Anybody uh, feel like you learned stuff kind of like this? And you know, I don't know. I I I know that I talked to my own kids, and I'm I'm in, and of course I taught for a lot of schools for a lot of years, so I'm kind of in these departments. I used to go to the department meetings. I get all their emails. I can guarantee you this is everywhere. This is, this is rife. This is just, it's, uh, it's all over the place. And, it's, and it's, a, it's an atmosphere in the education world now where you just almost dare not question it. Uh, you almost can't afford to. Uh, recently, there was an, a, an anonymous letter, he didn't sign his name to it, from a, from a, a gentleman who teaches... He's in the history department at, as you, none other than Cal Berkeley. And some some other people have verified that it's real, that it's the, you know, that it really is a person, but he didn't put his name to it. He says that he is a black scholar of history, 
And he wrote what you could call a pretty scathing dissent from, from this way of thinking that we're studying here. Uh, you can look it up on your own. You Google what I just said. You Google the description I just told you about. You will find that letter. And but what he but but the reason his name's not on it is he says in it, I will lose my job if my name is attached to this. You are not allowed to question these things. And right now times are tough economically, so pardon me. I think I'll keep my job. <laughs> That's basically what he said. But read that for yourself. You'll get the idea. I mean. There is not much dissent in that specific realm right now. Um, I know I'm not talking about private schools and Christian universities, although it, it runs through some of those too. So it, it's, a str- it's a stronghold there, we know. What about other areas like entertainment and media? Anybody going to pretend to be surprised on that? The world of entertainment and media tend to just what it, tend, tend to go with what the, where the current's going. Well, which which is ironic because they also help push the current that way. Um, I mean, I, at the risk of not sounding like I'm all that charitable about this, um, it looks to me like there's just a lot of cowards today uh, in positions of importance. They just they just they're just afraid. They just and I, I don't know that I'm going to say that this gentleman at Berkeley fits that bill. I mean, it, it could be his job, and I don't I'm not easy for me to say lose your job. But I guess what I mean is um, in the corporate world and in big media and so on, all it takes is is uh, the merest threat of a bad word written, a bad tweet sent, a bad something, anything. And people will fall all over themselves to try to look like, to try to you know make it, to appease whoever might say a bad thing about them. And it's almost as if uh, it's almost as if uh, we have an army of children, and they're all telling us, "Do this, do that, don't do this, don't say this, don't say that, or I won't like you anymore." And we are all fretting ourselves to try to make them happy. And a lot of people in important positions that you would think wouldn't have to feel that way. You would think that they could just say what they really believe. But um, social media now has such power that. A person in an important position, let's say you're the CEO of XYZ product and it's big. Let's say you are, you have a big time career in Hollywood. Let's say you are an important uh, person in, in the sports world or whatever, these high profile areas. But in the time it takes for somebody's complaint about you, um, a term you used, a, some impression you gave off, it could be anything. In the time it takes, in the millisecond it takes for that, for their tweet to go, to go around the, the world, you know, you've got a million people now, just, just letting, just giving it to you with both thumbs on their phones. You know what I mean? Terrible, war, terrible, awful. Next thing you know, you might, you might be, it might be your reputation, your career. This is, this is happening now. It's been going on for a little while, but that's part of what we call the cancel culture. Hmm. I read uh, a thing today about uh, I know I know Jeff will be very familiar with this about his favorite head coach who wore the wrong T-shirt one day, didn't he? But and I don't know much about that. I'm not familiar with that 
network. He was, it's a news network. I guess it's a conservative news network. I don't. I'm. I'm. I really wasn't familiar with that. I've never heard of it until two days ago. But wearing a shirt in an old photo and the shirt having, <clears throat> you know, it looks like almost like a corporate shirt. You almost wonder if I don't know. You never know where these things come from. But we wear corporate stuff all on our clothes all the time. Sponsors of this and that. You got a T-shirt. I don't know what that was about, but it was enough that he had to he had to make with the quick apology and say all the right things because you know you are I mean the the, the razor's edge people are now found out that they're on. I mean you might think well if a guy's a coach for years and years, highly paid, you know he's been in the job for all. The, Surely he's pretty safe from a few complaints on social media that someone saw a picture and said, I don't like that. You might think, surely you'd be impervious from that. You know? Not anymore. He, it's, it's remarkable just, just how at risk his very job was if he didn't play that right. That's kind of what, what, what some of this has come to. And so that's because, because there, there's that. So that's the grip. That's the grip that this mindset now has. Um, my second one there is that it's it's the thinking behind what, just to be just to be as relevant as possible, since what you've been watching recently has been uh, some images of the cities in some bad shape, looking like Beirut in the 80s. You know, you turn it on and you're like, wait a minute, that's an American city. And um, so you might go. To, People may, a lot of people in certain parts of the country may sit in their recliner, turn that on, and go, "Why is that happening?" Part of why that's happening is this. You know, there's this this way this sort of way of thinking is part of the shared fuel of this the march the march uh, and not and not march literally. I mean like the. Um, sort of philosophically speaking, this sort of arm in arm, we're all on the right team now. Let's go, let's go tear the system down. And and here in a second, here with this my guiding concept section next, you'll see why that is. But it's so so this the understanding this helps explain what you're seeing in those images on the news. And then as a most important maybe here my third one, this is this is coming into churches. Churches are having a hard time right now. Trying to navigate, you know, churches want to be on the side of all the good things. Fairness, justice, compassion, love for all the people. You know, wouldn't churches want that? Churches do want that. Christians want that. So that's, so so there's a, you know, they're wrestling with trying to figure out, hmm, how do I, how do I, Stay true to all those things and show, hey, I'm on board with all all of the things we should be on board with. You know, I mean, I want I want uh, a society that's totally fair, totally just, that treats everybody as it should. What, meanwhile, meanwhile, without someone getting the impression that I believe a bunch of stuff I don't actually believe. Some of that's justice, social justice. Mm-hmm. It's got to be done our way. And it talks about in there about tearing down the, the things the way they used to be or should be and, and making it, quote, their way, which is... Yeah, and I think the important thing here is is 
is how to maintain some vigilance and discernment so that you don't you don't look around 10 years down the road and realize wow we sold everything out and now the people now now the kids we have especially they don't even what they think a christian is is not is not a, is no longer a biblical concept that can happen because you 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 failed to make the clear distinctions and, you know it depends on Right, right. And even if the words has multiple meanings, I mean, you're responsible to say which one you you mean, yes. and define things biblically, um, because some at some point so many words get co-opted, you can't avoid them all, or it's hard. You know, you, you're left with no language because um, because all the terms that you should use, you you can't find enough alternate alternatives. You just have to define them well. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, we're going to be sort of uh, taking a, you know, a little, a little closer look at some of these in in the next few weeks. But you might still be thinking to yourself, well, what, what is this really saying? Well, so here it is. Here's what you could call the gospel according to this critical theory approach to things. And there it is. So let's just look at some of these. Some, some words in bold. Two basic classes of people, two kinds, two basic kinds of people. One group is the oppressor, and then there's the oppressed. Okay, it's, this is a class issue. This is this is a very Marxist idea. Oppressor and oppressed. In fact, there's a quote right out of um, right out of the uh, Communist Manifesto. Uh, Marx essentially says it, those words. He says, look, throughout all the ages, you have had the <clears throat> you have had the struggle of the classes. Takes different forms in different times, you know, the serf and the lord, you know, and he says, but in every case, it merely comes down to oppressed and oppressor. So, the degree now to which you are one or the other has everything to do with your identity. Your identity tells you which which class, which group you are in in a given situation. I say that because there are, there's more than one feature to an identity. And as, and as I'll explain, some people are in the oppressed group with regard to part of their identity and in the oppressor group with regard to another part of their identity. All this is in their literature. I'll, I'll bring and read for you. There is stuff taken right out of textbooks that colleges are using. And that way you can get a good sense in their own words. But identity then. So what do you mean by identity? My character? No, not so much. Identity along the lines of race, gender, class, sort of like economic status and so on, sexual orientation, physical ability, and a few other things too. That's, the, that's what we mean by your identity, those markers, those traits about you. Now, as they will say, those in the oppressor class, oppressors, often do not realize that they are oppressors. And, the, likewise, the other side, sometimes people are in the oppressed class, they don't necessarily realize that they're in that class, they've got a bit woke to that, you know, got to come to understand it. And, moreover, those in the oppressor class, many of them may not individually be oppressive people. They may be pretty nice people. And, 
Maybe they don't harbor much overt stuff that would be any very bad, but they are still in that class. Okay, so the oppressors do not always realize they're oppressors, and they may not be oppressors individually, but here's the kicker. The emphasis here is not on individuals. It's on systems. It's on structures of society, not on the individual. So in other words, in other words, you may say, I'm, I'm, I'm no oppressor. I'm not like that. But by virtue of your identity, you may in fact belong to that class, that group, in which you are, like it or not, part of the evil system. One thing, we'll, one thing I'll also bring up, maybe I'll be able to put this on the screen in the future, but they make charts you can look at that break all this down, that show you the classes and where you belong with regard to all this, and they rank it. It's sort of hierarchical. It's uh, Some people will call it the oppression Olympics and things like this. You know, It's like, who's um, I'm more oppressed than thou, you know, kind of thing. But they lay it out along certain lines. So, so as it says, just so we're following along here, you got the different groups according to your identity. It's systemic. It's not about the individual. It's about the structure. And so what that means is that the fight then to make the world right, the fight for justice, what that's going to mean is not cultivating the character of people or discipling people one by one to be virtuous and all that. That's not what it's about. The fight isn't that. That's not what, that's not what you are to do. The army of, of warriors, the, ju- the justice warriors, what they will do instead of that, discipling people individually, is it's got to be systemic. What the, what the justice fighter does then in this system is seek to dismantle the systems or the structures that perpetuate this problem, the problem of oppression, the problem of privilege for some. Privilege for some and, and marginalization for others. Some people's voices get heard and some don't. And we, it's, it's, it's the structure. We've got to, we've got to tear down and abolish that structure. That's the problem. And unless you are doing that, unless you are fighting, working to do that, to dismantle those systems, you're not fighting for justice. You are not doing your part. That's why, by the way, you might go, why the tearing down statues? Because statues are symbolic. Of the, of the power structure. You see what I mean? So the physical act of tearing them down is the virtuous act of making things right in their mind. That's why we burn it all down. We tear it all down. Uh, now, there are different people. I think a lot of people, that, like I've said, in different churches who sort of subscribe to some of this, they don't go all the way with that. They probably think some of that's extreme. But the people that really buy in all the way to that, they'll admit it. They will admit it. I've heard them. I've read their stuff, and I've heard them say it out loud. They admit it. This has to go. All of it. All of it has to go. And that, and see, there, as we'll see, that's going all the way with Marx as well. You know, Marx's philosophy said this: the culmination of all these class struggles. Every 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 time there's the class struggle, it ends in revolution. Revolution changes the whole situation, brings about a new system. History comes to its culmination when the last one of those happens and you get to what? A classless society. And that's the sort of beautiful, wonderful, utopian world that was imagined of in the future. That's communism in his mind, is the classless society. There's no longer a class struggle. Now we're all equals. Uh, now there is no more oppressed class. 
or oppressor. Now we're just all here, you know. And that's the system we must build. But currently, the current system, like all the ones before, you know, you got the capitalists and you got the poor and you got the and you and and whiteness is a toxic thing. It invades everything, and everything therefore is racist. I mean everything. It's so it's it's like it's in the air. It's in the it's in the water. It's so so that people will now look around and find it everywhere they look. You know, like they used to say when I was growing up, you some people found there was a demon under every bush. Well, some people now see it everywhere. That label, that sign, that flag, that thing over there, that 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 slogan, that mantra, that that belief, that view, that that article of clothing, that character in that show. <laughs> I mean, you name it. It's got to go. It's got to go. It's got to go. It's bad. It's it's part of this evil system. I see it. I know it. It's racist. It's got to go. And what do we do? We dismantle it. We abolish it. We cancel. That's my brief introductory explanation.